Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to Permanente Docs Chat. Uh, I'm your host, Alex McDonald. Uh, as you all know, I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California. Um, although we're at the end of June, uh, it is it is at the time of this recording, at least it is still Pride Month. Uh, and we are joined by Dr. Panera today from the Southeast Permanente Medical Group. So welcome, Dr. Panera. Thank you. Thank you. Can you hear me? We can hear you. Yep. Uh, awesome. The the Dr. Panera is the physician co-lead for equity, inclusion, and diversity in the Southeast Permanent Day Medical Group. And we'll be discussing how we can support our LGBTQ physicians as well as our LGBTQ uh, patients and community. So if you have questions, uh, please feel and you're listening live, uh, please feel to drop them in the in the chat. We'll try to get to as many as we can. And so we're going to jump right in here. So so Dr. Panera, tell us tell us a little more about, about who you are and what you do. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alex. And thank you so much for having me here. Um, let's see, where do I begin? So my journey started at in California, where I was born and raised. And then I eventually ended up here in Georgia at the TSPMG Medical Group, where I've been um, for the past 10 plus years, primary care physician in Midtown Atlanta, which is sort of like our West Hollywood downtown area. And I'm also the physician co-lead for EID, Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity. I've had that role for seven plus, eight plus years. So um, been doing that work, seeing that work grow. And I'm actually a second generation Kaiser Permanente employee. Uh, first doctor in the family and both my parents are nurses, both retired. Now they're taking care of their grandbaby. But um, yeah, you can say KP runs through my blood. Wonderful. Uh, well, well, welcome to the chat. I'm really excited to have you. Um, as I mentioned, June is Pride Month, uh, and we're seeing celebrations and, and rainbow flags all around us. Um, but tell us, what is what is Pride and what does Pride Month mean to you and, and to your community and to your patients? You know, um, as I practiced and learned about myself and my journey, um, first being closeted and an out gay man since I was 18, um, Pride Month means to me um, a time for like acknowledgement, acceptance, and also recognition that we have a place and space in our community. And it's a very diverse community. Um, I find that year after year, um, even decade after decade, the, the visibility of pride around the world and what it means to different people in different ways. Like for me, it means that, hey, you know, people are actually calling out Pride Month to me knowing mm -hmm. that I am gay, I am out. I have patients, even though I'm in the South, I have diverse patients, old, young, conservative, liberal, whatever, spectrum, right. you know, yep. all, all genders. Like they say, hey, like it's Pride Month, thank you. Um, and we support you. And that means a lot to me, um, especially those who have yet to begin their journey as, you know, their full authentic self. Yeah, I think it's so important to create a place and a space where people can can be their authentic uh, authentic selves and and feel supported, and they don't have to hide um, certain aspects of, of their personality. Um, I have a I have a rainbow sticker on my 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 door tag um, just to help you know give people some indications to safe place and they can they can share they can they can talk to me anytime they need something. And I think having the having the month of June be Pride Month really helps amplify that too to help everyone understand the importance of making sure we all feel included, we all feel welcome. Um uh, be, you know because so many people have have not felt that way for so long. True. Very true. And I say that I wear my pride flag on me, put it up because not to tell people 
who I sleep with, but to let the neighbors, especially gay neighbors with maybe a young kid who, who's also gay, mm-hmm. like that's safe, you know, that I do this, I represent us, you know, to be visible and that's safe to be yourself. So, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah. Wonderful. Well, that and that dovetails a little bit into my next question. And so how you bring your own personal background to your professional work um, as you're as the co-physician lead for equity, inclusion and diversity at, at, in Georgia, uh, Permanente. Tell us some about how you brought your own personal experience to that role and also what your goals and initiatives are within within the, the equity, inclusion and diversity space uh, within within Permanente. Thank you so much. That's a really great question, Alex. Um, I bring my perspective as an outsider. And what do I mean by that? Um, as I mentioned, I was um, born and raised in Southern California in the suburbs where I felt like I was the only brown kid in the majority Caucasian, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, well-to-do gated community. Um, so that was one layer of otherness. And I, I carry that throughout my work. And I, I'll get to how I, you know, practice with that lens. Sure. Then you add a different layer, you know, of being gay and knowing or feeling what it is and hearing how it's not accepted, right? Um, I was born in 1980. I am well aware of the AIDS quilt. I've lost godfathers to AIDS. Mm-hmm. A lot of my um, parents' friends from nursing school died of AIDS. So, you know, there was a stigma of being gay and mm-hmm. even being out, you know. Um, so that being said, you know, I've always, not always, but I know how it feels not to be fully accepted mm-hmm. or not fully appreciated or even attacked if you let your authentic true self come out, right? Sure. So with that lens um, and that experience, I made it my mission in every interaction I have, not even more than with friends, the community, family, but with the patients I interact with, I put myself in their shoes, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of how can I help them understand that they can trust me, that I am not judging them. I'm actually listening to them Mm -hmm. so I can provide equitable care in the way that will set themselves up for their best selves. So I feel like permanent medicine sets me up really well in doing that. Yes, because of the um, you know affirming care education and the workflows and policies, but because like I'm given the time to do it and help understand all my patients, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I say this because if I had someone like me as a kid that I can look up to, mm-hmm. I would have felt less alone, yep. less isolated, and actually more self-actualized. But I'm quite happy with where I am right now. That that's so important. Having role models um, that people can look up to and, and emulate um, that look like you, that speak your language, that come from your culture. I think that's something that a lot of people under underestimate or underappreciate um, uh, who, who are maybe not in the minority. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us tell us more about how your your role um, as the physician co lead for for EID um, and and what are some of your goals and initiatives within that role specifically. So um, you've probably heard of Blonde KP part one and two, mitigating bias and understanding structural racism. Um, I have been in that early developmental um, 
steering committee for that and then adjusting it according to clinicians' needs. Mm-hmm. So that is an initiative that formally I'm a part of and have presented to our executive leadership team locally, but also in different regions. I've had the opportunity of presenting it to our board of directors. And I can say that I'm very proud that KP Georgia, mm-hmm. TSPNG has a maybe a 98, 99% completion rate for belonging KP part one. Wow, that's great. And seriously, and it's because of the... The, the major support we get from our executive leadership team, team namely um, NKIM, you know, Dr. Chuck, our EMD at TSPNG. Shout out, shout out to uh, NKIM. Um, that being said, that's like one of many we have um, in the, you know, space of the, the buckets of care delivery, community, and workforce. Mm-hmm. So another thing, another example is BRG recruitment. You know, we're trying to increase um, recruitment of TSPNG or Permanente providers within our BRGs. We feel like it's a very good way of helping those who feel like other to be more engaged in the workforce. Um, more belonging equals more performance, less burnout, you know. So I find that's a very good way of, you know, joining a BRG. It's a great way of, you know, getting connected, not just within the people within the MOB, but also people in different functions throughout the organization. Um, and, another- and for, Sorry, for those who are not familiar with, with all the different uh, acronyms and, and the, the TLA is the three letter acronyms here at KP, can you tell us what, what BRG stands for? So BRG is Business Resource Group, also known as affinity groups. For instance, KP Pride, shout out to you know Pride members, um, Kappa, which, um, which is, you know, for African-American, there's KP mm-hmm. veterans, mm-hmm. Um, and then, and so forth. And KP Latino and KP Pacific Islander, KP Apia. Um, capability too, that's our, you know, um, for those who, you know, try to support those with different abilities or, or yeah. And um, you don't have to be born into a group. You can be a, an ally, a friend or a family member, a coworker mm-hmm. to join, you know, and yeah. I'm a part of all BRGs. Wait, and I think that's such a great uh, a great tool to help people um, cohort even within within their clinic, within their MOB or within their area to feel like they, yes, you're all part of one KP in the KP family um, and all part of permanent day medicine, but also we can have each different groups experience the world in different ways and having some camaraderie and having some a, a, a place to have those relationships and have those conversations, I think is really critical as well. There's, mm-hmm. there's a lot more data coming out about, um, um, almost like, you know, cohorting by race within, within business development and leadership development can be very valuable for, for some of these, particularly some of these groups who are, who are in the minority when it comes to leadership and medicine in general. Um, so we'll, sorry, I took you off, I took you off topic. I apologize. Oh no, you're, you're preaching. I love it. It, It's, you know, I love it. You're preaching my, my speech. I love it. It's great. So I apologize. I, I interrupted your train of thought. No, it's fine. Um, you know, I totally agree with what you, what you just said. And there's many upon many like stuff we're working on. Um, another one is, you know, there's a um, Kaiser Permanente National Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity Conference every year. Mm-hmm. I, I'm biased, but I think we have the best conferences, especially before COVID. Oh my gosh, like it was amazing. <laughs> so I'm on the steering committee for that. And I'm trying to make sure that um, that this year we get more CMEs for our providers who take the time to learn and listen, because I think that we deserve that as busy clinicians, because we're trying to enrich ourselves 
and you know, learning about and providing culturally affirmative care, right? Affirming care. So I'm I'm not fighting for that, but sponsoring that, asking for it in a way that's impactful for every permanente provider. And um, that's like, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and that that dovetails like, again. It's almost like you've you've read the script script here. Uh, what are some of the what are some of the major health concerns facing, particularly the LGBTQ community, that physicians and other clinicians need to be aware of, um, so we can provide more culturally uh, appropriate care? Yeah, I mean, um, great point, Alex. You know, it, it's I, I was looking at some data locally. You know, that's perhaps not even unique to Georgia. Um, there's data that says that one in every individual who has HIV, one in every five individual with HIV does not know they have HIV in yep. Georgia. Um, Georgia was reported to be number one, the number one state in the U.S. for new HIV infections, mm. with Atlanta being a hotspot. And it's not just you know men who have sex with men, but it's also heterosexuals too, you know. And um, Georgia ranks in the top five in the country for people living with HIV. Um, the question is why, you know, we can get into policy and access and all that, but it's all about education, um, reaching out to communities who need it. And that's what we're trying to do with our infectious disease team, the community benefit partners, mm -hmm. um, you know, getting our communities of color to understand what Truvada, what Discovery is to prevent HIV. Um, and, and then some, it's, it won't be, it's not... There would be a week where I would actually diagnose young men, like in their 20s with HIV, maybe about two or three in one week. Oh, Not wow. every week, but that's something like, wow, it's like, and that's been happening the past couple of years, you know, I, I've been seeing an increase of that. But I am, um, I, I, I do believe that KP Georgia has what it takes to address this in an impactful way, more so than the other systems health systems here because of our integrated, culturally affirming, um, you know, system, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So, and, and we that, know, we know STD, we know STD rates are on the rise across the country, not just HIV, but all STDs. Um, and, and to your point before, uh, you know, you, you and I are of a certain generation where maybe we don't remember the, the kind of the heart of the AIDS epidemic in the eighties, but we, we understand that we sort of have some experience with that. And we know people who live through that very closely, whereas today's youth in general, don't really remember that. don't have that lived experience. And you know, HIV and AIDS is now a chronic disease. Um, it's not a death sentence like it was. And so I think a lot of people don't have the the fear, quite frankly, of uh, and, and the wherewithal to, to use protection for not just HIV AIDS, but all STDs. Um, yep. And I think especially some of young, my younger patients here are just like, oh yeah, can I get tested again? Yep, can I get tested again? I'm like, well, can we talk about prevention? Can we talk about condom use? Can we talk about, um, you know, uh, um, PrEP and other, other resources? So I, I think it's a bit of a cultural shift. And we, as physicians, I hope we can really sort of leave that charge and educate our patients regarding the importance of that. And obviously prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? It is. It is. And to that effect, it's it's nice to see that there are, you know, injectable, you know, preps and all that coming down the pipeline. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I'm very proud of the work we're doing here locally. We have a very robust infectious disease team, very proactive in engaging our community. Um, you mentioned, you know, ST, other STDs, syphilis is on the rise. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I, I have a really close friend who works in uh, Permanente, you know, Kaiser KP uh, SoCal. That you know, you guys are running out of uh, bicillin, you know, and <laughs> it's crazy, you know, like syphilis was an oldie but a goodie, you know, um, and it's coming back. But um, that being said, we have to be mindful of this, and all providers, not just LGBT providers, we need to be aware that you know, um, that there are other areas that need to be swabbed, not just the standard STD mm-hmm. panel, but mm-hmm. you need to include the oral and rectal swab yep. if necessary. And that is often forgotten, at least in my experience, when um, my you know gay patients go to other clinics, you know. Um, so that's one one way, you know, as providers to learn about and to be aware of. Yeah. Can I ask you one question also, which I was just actually just thought of, and I've actually asked this before. Um, uh, I have a, a relatively large uh, percentage of, of gay patients, uh, gay men. And is there any evidence for doing anal pap smears on a regular basis uh, for patients who have who have anal intercourse? I, or is there any data yet? Because I think I, I last asked my colleague a couple of years ago and he had no, he's like, I don't know. We don't really have any good data for it. Um, do you have any recommendations or any practice that, that you follow? Refer to ID. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> Please don't say that. <laughs> no, but seriously speaking, um, I've asked this question of my ID partner, and who happens to be in the same office. I love him, Dr. Katala. Shout out to him. Um, you know, uh, this was some time ago, but I cannot speak to it like as an sure. expert. But my understanding yeah. is it depends on your um, if you're immunocompromised or not. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then if you engage in if you're bottom, right? Or first. But that being said, this is something to your point about data. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem is there's not enough data. And my, my, my observation is that we need to start using SOGI, which is sexual orientation and gender ID Mm -hmm. with an epic. You're probably really familiar with that because of your cohort. I am. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, by doing that, by gathering more data, we're able to identify our community so Mm -hmm. that we're not invisible so that we do have the data to say, okay, anal pap smears. Yes. So um, it's not, this is not unique to KP, but you know, nation or worldwide, but um, it's upon us as providers to collect that data. So then we can go to our research department and say, Hey, this is possible to gauge as to whether this is, um, you know, beneficial or not. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that, that, that's a great point is having, having identifying that cohort so that you can collect the data so that then you can make um, some, some recommendations uh, mm-hmm. is, is one of the unique things we have here within KP. I, I'm very proud of that. Right. Um, well, my next question for you here, a little, little bit uh, changing gears just a bit here is the American Medical Association actually just elected their first openly gay physician as their president, uh, Dr. Jesse Ehrenfield, who I've met many times. He's a wonderful, wonderful leader. Um, Why do you think it's important for people who identify as LGBTQ to be in medicine and particularly to take on these leadership roles? Um, Is there something specific that you think is, is we need something we need to continue to do? And what is the value of that? Um, Back, great question, Alex. And back to my point about representation and modeling. I mean, role models, seeing someone whom you know could, that, that shares the same journey, um, in this case, being gay or part of the LGBTQ community, um, sort of puts in your, into your mind that it is possible to live your full authentic life, be celebrated, but also promoted and become a leader, right? So that was something that was 
not missing in my life. I had my parents. They're awesome, amazing role models. I could say my awesome bed manners because of my my mom. <laughs> and my dad would agree. He's an awesome too. But that being said, um, if I had, you know, seen someone that looked like me, knows my lived experience or can understand it, that would make it more possible for future leaders, for people who are, no matter what place or space, they can say, wow, I want to do that. It's possible. Let me do the work, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to just staying stagnant in the silo and not as productive for society. So I think it's very important to speak to your authentic life, much like the general public does in terms of talking about their spouses, their kids. Mm -hmm. We should be able to speak to that, to our lives in an authentic manner. That's normative, you know, that's just normal. Yeah. It makes me, makes me think of the, um, sort of the concept of 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 being gay or or lesbian or heterosexual is is not who you are it's it's part of a, a multitude of pieces of, of, that make up your being too and mm-hmm. we can all be leaders we can all be physicians regardless of those other or or it, because of those other other aspects of our lives as well too um yeah. wonderful okay this is fantastic we could go on and on but we have to keep this short and high yield <laughs> We don't want to bore our listeners too much. Uh, last question. Oh, no. Tell me. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Tell me what makes you most proud to be a permanent day physician. Um. Wow. Well, first of all, I'm a lifer. Okay. Uncle Kaiser's got me for life because, um, you know, all the benefits, all of the, you know, all that stuff. Like, I feel like as a permanent day physician, I am able to um, practice my mission and vision as a doctor, like take the time. Yes, we're busy. Yes. You know, we're overloaded and stressed with a lot of patient work, but you know, when I do make that connection and I'm able to influence my patient who's struggling with their A1C, get them from 13 to Mm 6.5, that's a win. Like it doesn't matter what's happening around the world. Like, you know, empowering that person, that patient in the collaborative trustworthy relationship. I mean, that makes me feel like, okay, Permanente is really helping me to do this and it fills my cup every day. So um, with that, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this. And I look forward to you know watching more of your shows. Well, thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing your expertise and your time with us today. We really appreciate it. Pleasure. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.